Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. Well, one of the greatest hopes for Christians worldwide is the coming again of our Lord Jesus Christ, and it's called the Rapture. This wonderful anticipation cheers our pathway and gives us strength to go on amidst often weary and difficult circumstances. The Apostle Paul says in the book 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 18, Comfort one another with these words. Yes, it does fill our hearts with joy to know that we will soon see and be with the one we love. Of course, the prospect of the Lord's return is not a comforting one for those whose sins are not forgiven. They will be left behind. If that describes you, then give a listen to our message today and learn more about this great, soon-coming event and how you can be prepared. Today's message was given to a gathering of Christians in Vancouver, Canada, and makes up part one of a two-part explanation about the rapture of the church. Now we're going to read in the Gospel by John, chapter 14. These words are very familiar, but we'll read at verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Now the first epistle to the Thessalonians, please, chapter 4. We'll read it, verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, And so shall we ever be with the Lord, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Finally, the epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 11. We read at verse 5. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found, because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God, but without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now may God add a rich blessing to the reading of what we believe to be his own inspired word. This afternoon, beloved, I would like to speak to you about the rapture. And of course, some will say it's not a word that you find in the Bible, and that is absolutely correct. The word is not there, but the truth of it is there nevertheless. There are words that we use and the words are not contained in Holy Scripture, and yet the truth of these things are there. The word Trinity is never found in the Bible, 
and yet the truth of it is there. The Lord Jesus spoke about the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The word millennium isn't found in the Bible, but the truth of it is there. The Bible says of tribulation martyrs, they lived and reigned with him for a thousand years. There you have the concept of millennium, a thousand years. The word substitution is never found in the Bible, but the truth of it is there nevertheless. Christ also hath once suffered for sins, and wait for it, substitution, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. So while these words are not employed in the Bible, the truth of them are there nevertheless. Thus it is with this word rapture. And it is contained in that phrase that we read together from First Thessalonians chapter 4. Caught up. There's the concept of rapture. If you check your dictionary for the word rapture, you'll discover it has two meanings. Number one, the idea of ecstatic joy. We speak about being over the moon about things, being in raptures about these things. But then there's the concept of being seized and carried away. That's a dictionary definition of rapture. And that's the concept we have in First Thessalonians 4. My dear brother, my dear sister, one of these days, dramatically, unexpectedly, suddenly, will be caught away one moment here and the next there. I hope you're living in the expectation of the rapture. As we think of him who will come, the one who says, yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. So he could come today. And I trust that you believe in the concept of an any moment return of the Lord Jesus. That's not our subject today, but we're thinking of the rapture. We're going to see, first of all, in John 14, the rapture was promised, the promise of the rapture. And then, in First Thessalonians chapter 4, we'll see the rapture predicted. And then we have the rapture pictured in Hebrews chapter 11. And here's a man, and he's walking with God. And suddenly God takes him. His translation, says Hebrews chapter 11. And the translation of Enoch is a little picture of what will take place when the Lord Jesus comes again. My dear friends, right at the dawn of human history, God was demonstrating that it's possible for people to go to heaven without dying at all. Wonderful that. Enoch was the prototype of those who go to heaven without dying. The rapture promised, the rapture predicted, and the rapture pictured. Let's come to John 14, first of all, then. And it is very, very familiar. But let's think about what the Lord Jesus is saying. Let not your heart be troubled. Now, oftentimes, when expounding the word of God, I try to draw attention to the fact that you daren't, at the start of a chapter, ignore the context that has gone before at the end of the previous chapter. And sometimes you discover in reading your Bible that you've got to read on because you discover that the subject matter runs on. I just want to say that is not the case here. The Lord Jesus, at the end of chapter 13, had been predicting that Peter would deny him. Peter, he's saying, before the cock shall crow, you'll deny me thrice. Let not your heart be troubled. What is he saying to Peter? Now, don't you be alarmed about that. Don't be too concerned about the fact that you're going to deny me, Peter. No, he wasn't saying that at all. The subject matter has changed. At the end of chapter 13, he'd been using the personal pronoun, the thee and the thy. And that's one of the benefits of using the old-fashioned Bible. A thee and a thou always is singular. A you and a yours is always plural. 
So at the end of chapter 13, the Lord Jesus had been speaking to Peter specifically, thee and thy and thou, but now it's you. He turns to address all the disciples, and he says, let not your heart be troubled. But do observe, my beloved, that although he's speaking to 11 men, it's a single heart. Not your hearts, but your heart. So here are 11 men with one heart. And I'm appealing to saints in this meeting today, my dear friend in Christ, although you are diverse, although you come from different backgrounds, different ethnic cultures and all the rest, be of one heart. Do you remember in Luke chapter 24, those two on the way to Emmaus, eventually they say the one to the other, did not our, what, our hearts? No. Did not our heart burn within us? I take it's a couple there. A married couple. A married couple with a single heart. No separate agendas. Both focused on the same thing. Both having their interest in the same thing. With regard to Zacharias and Elizabeth, they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. A married couple with a single aim. So it's wonderful, isn't it, that although there is plurality, and although there is variety, there can be a singleness of heart and purpose among the people of God. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? A God you've never seen? Believe also in me. Oh, soon the Lord Jesus would be spiked to the tree and then laid tenderly in that new tomb. And after three days he would be raised from the dead. And after forty days he would ascend to glory, and they would see him no more. Believe also in me. wonder if there's someone in the meeting, and you've never taken that step of believing in him. My beloved friend, I appeal to you tenderly in God's name today. Have a care for your soul. If the Lord Jesus comes today, you'll be left behind. And there'll be no second chance, no further opportunity to get right with God if you've known the gospel of the grace of God. And so, in love for your soul today, I'm appealing to you, get right with God and do it now. You believe in God, said the Savior, believe also in me. And right through the gospel by John, he's so interested to know as to whether or not people believe. Many of the Samaritans believed on him. Neither did his brethren believe on him. So he's always wondering, did people believe? Did they believe not? He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So he said, you believe in God, believe also in me, in my Father's house and many mansions. And of course, this isn't the first mention of the Father's house in John's Gospel. Back in chapter 2, there's a structure there that the Lord Jesus called my Father's house. But you know, there in chapter 2, the temple mafia were in control. And they were buying and selling the beasts, changing the money. And the Lord Jesus intervenes. You've made my father's house a house of merchandise. Friends, that father's house could be defiled. This will never be defiled. There will never enter into it anything that defileth. Oh, what a difference from chapter 2 of John's Gospel. Incidentally, that took place at the beginning of the Lord's ministry. And then at the end again, during the last week that he spent in Jerusalem, once more, 
He cleansed the temple. I learned the lesson. He had the same convictions about things at the end as what he had at the beginning. And mind you, things had deteriorated by that time. A house of merchandise, he says in John 2. But later, a den of thieves. The thing had deteriorated further. And yet the Lord Jesus had convictions. Is it possible that in this gathering of believers today, there are people whose convictions about things have been eroded? Is it possible that in moral and ethical matters you become more lax? My beloved, I appeal to you, be like the Lord Jesus. If you have convictions about things that are based on the word of God, hold them firmly. Don't allow anyone to rob you of these convictions. So, my father's house, he'd spoken about it in chapter 2, but this is different. He's speaking now of heaven. In my father's house are many abodes. Now that's delightful, isn't it? I don't know how many hundred people are here today, but there's room for you all up there. Many abodes. And the redeemed of all ages, there's room for them there. Many abodes. But it is most interesting that in this very chapter, the Lord Jesus employs that very word again. And he speaks about those who will love him. And he says, if a man love me, he will know my words, and my Father will love him. And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. The word mansion is the word abode. Now, in the future, we will enjoy an abode with him. But in the here and now, his father and he draw near and make their abode with us. Wonderful thing that, isn't it? Just to think that Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are interested in abiding in the life of the believer. I tell you, my friend, we're well catered for along the pilgrimage of life. He makes his abode with us, but one day we will make our abode with him. And then he says, if it were not so, I would have told you. There was nothing of deceit about him. You know how sometimes we can just tell people as much as we want them to know and withhold certain things. The Lord Jesus was absolutely transparent. I mentioned to the friends elsewhere just the other evening that in John's Gospel, the Lord Jesus is seen as the burnt offering. And one of the creatures suitable for burnt sacrifice was the turtle dove. And one of the features of the dove was this, guileless, guileless as doves, said the Lord in his teaching. My beloved, that is just a type of the Lord Jesus. Isaiah said no deceit in his mouth. Peter ratified it in his ministry. If it were not so, I would have told you. I do trust that we take a leaf out of his book. The word of God would say to us in the Ephesian epistle, putting away lying, let every man speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So says the Savior, in my father's house many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. I'm satisfied that when he went to Calvary, he prepared a people for the place. And the Lord Jesus, by his sufferings and death, effected a work that makes me fit for heaven. I quoted to you earlier, he suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Now that is not heaven, that is God, that's reconciliation. But it will be heaven in the ultimate. And the work of Calvary fits me for heaven. 
Hallelujah. But I take it that here he's speaking about going to heaven to prepare the place. Now, you understand that we're not thinking in terms of tidying up and making the place ready in any kind of physical sense at all. We understand that. But I judge, my beloved, that the very presence of a risen, glorified man yonder in heaven prepares the place for those who will come on behind him. You remember the epistle to the Hebrews speaks about the fact that we have a hope, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, and it entereth into that within the veil. And the writer adds this, Whither the forerunner is for us entered. The for He's the forerunner. And the fact that he has gone behind the veil of heaven as a risen glorified man prepares that place for us. If I go, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. You see, the place to which he goes in John 14 is the place from which he returns. If I go, I will come again. So it's heaven he has gone to, and from heaven he will come. If I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Now, a little technical point. The Lord Jesus said, I go. But then the tense of the verb, I come again, really means it's imminent. I will come, not so much in the future, it's something that's imminent. The fact that the Lord Jesus could come at any moment, and we say perhaps today, and we sing in our meetings, I can almost hear his footfall on the threshold of the door. And so we anticipate his return. You get it. In the idea of the verb tense here, I go, I come again. And there seems to be no space almost between the going and the coming. I go, I come again, and I will receive you unto myself. Well, back in chapter 1, John spoke about us receiving him. As many as received him, to them gave he the power, the authority to become the children of God. And he's a congregation of people today. And we can look back to a time in our life when we received him. You say, what does it mean? Well, John explains what it means. To believe on his name. To believe on his name is tantamount to receiving him. So there came that moment in our lives when we received the Lord Jesus. And we were placed in the family of God. Ah, but this is speaking about a day when he will receive us. And he's coming to receive us unto himself. Not unto heaven, although it is heaven. He's taking us to the many mansions. But it's unto himself. Oh, this is thrilling. Paul, even in thinking about death, contemplated it was to depart to be in heaven. No, to depart to be with Christ, which is far better. Absent from the body, at home with the Lord. My dear friends, that's what makes heaven heaven. The presence of the Lord Jesus. A man in great agony, dying at the side of Christ, must have had his spirits lifted when the Lord said to him, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Good to be in paradise, yes, but to be with him in paradise. Absolutely thrilling. And so we'll see him. He says, if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Ah, he spoke to the Father about this later in the Gospel. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me 
where I am, that they may behold my glory. My brother, my sister, he's yonder glorified, exalted, extolled. Someday we're going to behold his glory. Maybe a dear one in the meeting, and life is pretty tough for you at this present time. Maybe a sickness. Maybe unemployment. The heartbreak of a wayward family. Or whatever. And life can become rough and difficult. It's an uphill pathway. Oh, let our spirits be lifted. At any moment, this could take place. With him beholding his glory. And the pilgrimage will all be history. It will all be behind us as we gather around his holy person. So we have the rapture promised in John chapter 14. What a wonderful message that warms the hearts of all Christians. At the coming of the Lord, those that are in the graves will hear his voice, as well as those that are alive, and we shall all be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. But what about you? Will you be one of the Lord's own that he calls to be with himself? He wants you to be. By simple faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and his work on Calvary, you too can be ready for that great event. Mr. Hay will continue with part two of his message next week, so be sure to tune in. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you would like some literature that would help you understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at anchorpointradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday, as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. If you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel or of gathering unto the name of the Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our Anchor Point website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. Our Anchor Point messages are also available for listening and download at anchorpointradio.com. My name is Glenn Todd. Thank you once again for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that Christ alone is the anchor for the soul. <music>